And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 262, aka Year 6, Week 12, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with... MC. And, and Ken's going. Yay, Ken's back again. Glad to have you. Must be boring sitting there up there. Nothing to do, no one to teach. Uh, as you know, this is a call-in show, so those numbers are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so what is going on with you guys over there? Are you obeying the curfew? <laughs> well, I'm enjoying it. It's uh nice time to be sort of uh, home relaxing and with my family so i i'm quite quite happy with this nice they did impose a curfew now from 11 at night till five in the morning but um you know uh, i don't know how they're going to enforce it what is what is the point of that like is that when everyone was out and about spreading germs and, and spitting on people <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> Right. I think it's uh, just the assertion of the state. You know, we have power to do this, and and we're going to show you how we're going to protect you all from yourselves, all those random people out there. So yeah. I think it's just an assertion of the power of the state. Well, we've got drones going on the on the beaches. Drones going ahead and with loudspeakers telling people to stay away from each other. <laughs> Go to the beach and swim, but you can't. Uh, uh, stand next to each other at the beach at least you can swim there was one article that came out last week i think it was in california there was the, the coast guard like uh, assaulted a stand-up paddleboarder because he was <laughs> out there stand-up paddleboarding all by himself so what did they do they they you know they approached him right so now there's more than one person in location they they forced him to shore then they you know coalesced him grabbed him and dragged him off to where to where he's going to be held with a bunch more people, or they could have just left him alone out there, stand up paddleboarding and doing his own thing, right? Like what's? <laughs> I think you said it best, Ken. It's just it's 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 the state's just show of force by the state and the and the government agents uh, working for the state, just saying like you know, now that we have the power, how much will you you know peons tolerate? As we keep ratcheting up the, you know, the the quarantine or the lockdown or whatever you want to call it, you know, the other thing that I was thinking, I know you, do, I know you didn't want to get too much in the COVID thing, but this is <laughs> this is another thing that I was thinking as I was driving to work, right? Hear me out and then tell me if like this argument could be made. Uh, the essentially, we should stop calling this like a quarantine or a lockdown. Uh, because what it has turned into basically now, especially with the house arrest and a lot of, uh, with the, uh, with the, uh, what do you call that? The curfew in a lot of places is essentially a house arrest for all citizens, right? All citizens are placed on house arrest, uh, without, without conviction of any crime, right? Without evidence of any crime, you know, without, without, without being held accountable by a jury or anything like that. And being sentenced, right? You, you've been like you've been accused of, convicted of, and sentenced to house arrest with no due process whatsoever. Uh, what do you think about that take on it? Is this the same thing as martial law? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, it could be close. I think the curfew is more martial law than anything else, right? How do you enforce that? Right. You put people in the streets to say, you know, to to shoot you if you come outside, right? And it sets the horrible precedent. 
that that they want to set uh, that. They can do this sort of stuff because it's for our protection. And even though we see endless cases around uh, on the media of, of police abusing their power now, people all, I think, sort of are, are rationalizing it, saying, yeah, but it's, they're, it, they're well-intentioned. They're doing it for our own good. And that's the same thing that it's going to be uh, when it's a pervasive um, uh, state society. It's for our own good. And I don't see enough pushback although i was pleased to hear article read articles about sweden um not adopting any of these quarantine systems and i don't, I don't know how accurate it is but the articles that i read seem to feel like uh, uh sweden is rebuffing all of these calls for stay at home and quarantine and they uh seem to be handling the the, the coronavirus quite well as well as any country in europe so have you the other more about that uh i have not mc is he still with us? Yeah, yeah, I heard about oh, okay. that also in Sweden. Yeah, the the one that I heard was like Belarus, I think, and how they're not really doing anything, and that's the one where their president, uh, as much of a socialist state as that you know that country is, uh, you know, their president is saying like, "Dah, it'll be fine. Just drink some vodka and hit the sauna. You'll be you'll be fine." And they're not doing anything, right? Like they're the only place still having like soccer matches and all that other fun stuff. So, well, the the nice thing about having Sweden do it compared to Belarus is that Belarus has uh, a horrible dictator reputation with uh, Lukashenko yes. being uh, uh, the the top dog. I you know I people aren't going to swallow that uh, response from him. They're going to say well dismiss it just as they would with Trump. But with Sweden doing it, and and they're not nearly as socialist as they used to be, but they. Uh, uh, they have a good reputation with the, the broad public and especially the left. So when they defied the, this uh, control, um, that's harder for the left to, to dismiss. Well, one of the and things... Go ahead. I, I'm looking at the Daily Mail that uh, was circulated on the Internet just uh, yesterday. Sweden's daily death toll and its number of new coronaviruses... Uh, cases both fell today as the country continues to hold out against imposing a lockdown. Uh, they seem to have had quite a good success, and uh, they're in the decline of this. Nice. Well, uh, again, good thing that they're doing something different, because just like everything else, right, it'll be a case study of how each country responded to it and what the success rate or not was, right? And then there'll always be detractors saying like, well, it's because they got this different and this different, and that's why. Right. Well, they're doing so much better. Why? Because socialized medicine or something, you know, which, you know, with Bernie dropping out of the race, that's the next big thing. Right. Uh, Bernie Sanders out. Joe Biden, presumed Democratic nominee. Bernie supporters up in arms. But still, you know, saying that this covid thing would have been uh, taken care of and no one would have to worry about, you know, getting sick if we had socialized medicine. And the only way to have done that would have been to elect Bernie. Uh, so without Bernie Sanders uh, being the president, our healthcare system is screwed still. Um, but so socialized medicine would have been would have been the, the, the cure for COVID, basically. Any thoughts on that? Well, again, the nice uh, example of, of Sweden is that they're not going to ruin their economy with this. You know, uh, it says in here that Unlike most of Europe, Sweden has not imposed a lockdown, and primary schools, shops, cafes, restaurants, and bars remain open, and all businesses, their their economic activity is going to thrive. So the the socialist won't have the this uh, excuse 
uh, if Sweden had didn't go along with this this pattern and ruined their economy, which is what's going to be the next blow. The the first blow was the coronavirus. The second blow is going to be the collapse of the economy in in these countries and the further justification for government interventions. Oh, we've got to spend up another twenty three or two two point three billion trillion dollars to uh, hand out to everybody. But they won't they won't have to do that in Sweden because they are remaining stable by their economy, I guess. See. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, like I said, we'll see. We'll see, and it's a great case study to find out, you know, I'm sure your prediction is going to be accurate, right? But to, to what extent, it, you know, obviously we have to wait and see what actually happens. But again, it's nice that other countries are doing something different so that we have those case studies to compare it to. Um, the next thing, I guess, you you, you had a, an article about some dastardly border enforcement Ken, that you want <laughs> well, <laughs> best you know, I can pitch I, it. Again, the state is always um, saying, "Well, we've got to spend this money, and we're desperate to spend this money in order to to crack down on the border." Uh, and I noticed this little article, and and the thing that strikes me about it, it's on page eight, uh, a eight. Okay, it's on page eight. Well, at least that's a the tiny little. At least that's column. the first section of the paper. Y- yeah, yeah. Okay, first section, but it's uh um not even on the on the right sand side of the page which or the top it's sort of in the middle and 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 uh in a small article that says uh, massive overspending found at detention site el paso texas u.s customs and border protection needlessly spent around 12 million dollars last year to guard house and feed as many as 2,500 people in a private detention center in Texas that never held more than 68 detainees on a given day, according to a report from a congressional watchdog. Over five months, Customs and Border Protection paid $5.3 million for 650,000 meals that were never ordered, according to the Government Accounting Office. Uh, the report says the agency also spent six and a half million dollars on unnecessary private security guards for the facility. I mean, it's a huge boondoggle. Wait, so it there's is... border enforcement agents and private security guards and food delivery services all Jeez. being paid massive amounts of money for nothing. And uh, this is this is so typical of the border uh, uh, phenomena. Massive amounts of money rationalized for this kind of spending and it's all uh you know uh, squandered i don't know if you if you recall but some years ago there was a uh case in i think it was uh um i, I can pull up the exact uh, date but uh, the hawaii reporter magazine found that they spent 45 million dollars in stimulus funds uh to create three and a half jobs in four phantom districts in Hawaii. Now, I say wow. phantom districts. There are two districts, uh, congressional districts in Hawaii, first district and the second district. But they also found that massive money had been listed as being spent in the 99th congressional district, which doesn't exist, the 15th congressional district district that doesn't exist, the 00, zero dis- uh, congressional district that doesn't exist, and one other. So they spent a total of $45 million, about... Um, uh, you know, for these uh, you know, non-existent right. districts to create three and a half jobs—that's that's thirteen million dollars per no, about fifteen million dollars per job. 
And then when they asked about it, well, how, how can you spend this money in non-existent districts? They said, oh, well, it must have been a mistake. Well, it sure was. <laughs> yeah, clerical error. Well, it sure was a mistake, you know. And so, that's the way all of this stuff goes. The, the first thing that jumps out to me when you, when you read those two uh, stories, Ken, is the conspiracy theory, right? Well, they didn't really spend all that money in those districts or on that border patrol site. That's the black ops money, yeah. right? That's the money that goes to, you know, the CIA covert operations, undercover, you know, espionage, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's how they, that's how they funnel money into those things because those things can't be on the books. So they, they launder it through regular things that just, you know, that's eh, the government. Of course we overspend on jobs and border security. Um, but yeah, no, no one's paying that much for meal delivery service or for private security guards or for, you know, for jobs in congressional districts. But that's like $45 million that went to some black ops thing. And how do you hide it? You just you put it with the normal stuff that you don't think anybody's going to look into. Well, now you've really scared me because I okay. thought that it was just, I just thought that it was, uh, you know, some corrupt contract with some uh, uh, contractor who got all this extra money um, and they're, they're hiding it. But you've made it, Add in a whole other dimension to it. I'm not sorry. Only it, not only is it waste, but if it goes to a black op operation, you know, like funneling weapons to the drug cartel down yeah. uh, south, as they did with uh, what was that uh, operation called, where they uh, tried to test the system, how the, the the weapons were going by providing massive amounts of weapons to the drug dealers in the in south of the border. Oh, I'm I mean, not going to remember know. specific drug ops. Do you yeah. know MC offhand? Don't recall that the name of that one. No, I yeah. don't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean to scare you, but that's you know that could just be the conspiracy theorist in me, right? I'm not I'm not an out conspiracy theorist. There's a lot of those weird things that I go, yeah, it's kind of cool, kind of interesting. Don't really believe it, like in my heart of hearts. Um, but as far as like government spending. On, on stuff like that to go like, well, where did all it go when they're, when they're putting in $6,000 to, you know, for a toilet flusher on the USS town or whatever. I go, well, yeah, of course it's not for that. Right. Everyone, everyone knows that a hammer doesn't cost a thousand dollars, but you buy enough hammers at a thousand dollars and you funnel that money into something that you can't really put on the books. Well, I, you know, call me a conspiracy theorist if you want to, but it seems to make a lot of sense to me. Or corrupt contractors or, you know, cronies, uh, you know, handouts to, to friends and, you know, punish your enemies and, and reward your friends somehow. And it's not like the average American is looking at the financial statements of the government, right? It's not like even if you could look at it, you would understand it. And it's not like even if you could look at it and understand it, that anyone would believe you when you found discrepancies, right? That was the, that was one of the big financial uh, conspiracies coming out of, uh, 9-11, right in 2001 was, uh, September 10th. It was like that ah, $23 billion has gone missing or trillion or whatever the number happened to be. Yeah. Uh, we just, there's no accounting for it. Right. What do you do about that? Well, you fuck fly plane into a building and all of a sudden no one, no one's paying attention to where all the money went. Right. Big so the, difference between the private sector and the public sector. If that was a loss in the private sector, someone would have to be held accountable and would get fired. But in the, in the government sector, the public sector, no one's going to be held accountable and no one's going to get 
fired. Well, sure they are, Ken. You just wait four years, and when you get another chance at election, you elect <laughs> them out, right? Drain the swamp yeah. and all that other right. nonsense. Vote them out. <laughs> they care so much about the reason, I've heard, that the, the reason why you can trust politicians to do what's in your best interest as a citizen, right, is because they care so much about winning the next election that they have to serve your interest in order to get elected. There's no way that they can serve themselves and, and you know, enrich their friends and cronies uh, and, and win an election because the public, the American people would not stand for it. And they care too much about winning an election to do any of that nefarious things uh, that could prevent them from being reelected next time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that... Uh is interesting to interject here is about the corruption of politicians and so on or corrupt there you know transparency international does this thing in germany that for the world they call it the corruption perceptions index and i don't know exactly how they their methodology and all but they've got an index of ranking all the countries of the world by degrees of, of corruption that is involved in other words private uh, favors that are granted to public officials to bend their actions and um Typically, the the Scandinavian countries rank at the top, meaning having the least amount of corruption. And I've asked my students about that because I have a number of students from Scandinavia. And they say, well, there's a tremendous shame and embarrassment of having received any kind of privilege from uh, as a payoff or even, even a, a, a favor for somebody that you're when you're in public office. And that kind of that kind of shame and embarrassment doesn't at all exist in the United States. I mean, it does slightly. I do, do these surveys where I ask uh, students, okay, would you take a bribe? And most all of them say they would. Yeah, if it's a million-dollar bribe and I don't see any risk to me, then 95% of them say they'll do it. And then I say, okay, now, I mean, uh, uh, that's on the condition that it's secret and there's no penalty going to come your way. But as soon as I say, okay, now it's not going to be secret, about half of those people say they won't do it. Because they are embarrassed about it. They say, well, gee, if, I, if, if everyone's going to know, uh, then I don't want to do it. Um, and that matters a lot. Uh, whether people do it in, in private, uh, that's, I think, pervasive. 95% of the population would. Um, but as soon as they are exposed, the numbers drop. And I think they drop uh, very, very rapidly in some of those Scandinavian countries. And that probably explains, I think, some of the reasons for a lack of cor corruption in the Scandinavian countries, uh, despite years of the welfare state, because there's this sort of community attitude of, of shame. And uh, there, there's an expression in China, you know, he's shameless, meaning he, right. he doesn't feel any shame. And, and we sure know that increasingly in the United States where somebody um, accepts uh, payoffs and bribes. But there, you know, there's a, a level of tolerance in every society that's it's different and allows a lot of people to get away with it. Do you think that was ever the case here in the United States where yeah. politicians were ashamed to do those things? And, you know, not that you have to pinpoint a tie, but what changed, if so, to, to get us where we are today? No, I think when you study the, the history, American history and the politics, I mean, it's always been dirty. It's always been had elements of corruption. Um and uh, the only thing that kept it in check was the freedom of the press to be able to expose it um, because it, it was always here 
And, uh, you know, there was uh, Tammany Hall and the graft and corruption in New York City. There was always graft and, and corruption and a lot of major scandals through, through American history. Um, the thing that put the check on it was the exposure, the, the public uh, exposure. And that only happens with a free press. That's why in countries that don't have a free press, um, you know, people are always saying, oh, well, they're very honest and, and upright in, in places like Singapore. But I don't really trust that assertion because the press isn't really free to expose it uh, there. Okay. Well, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pin you down real quick. Then can you give me your best definition for a free press? Because it would seem like in the United States we do have a free press. Right. They're allowed to print whatever they want. There's no government restriction on what they can and cannot cover. However, there's enormous pressure from state agencies and state officials to cover certain things in a certain light, uh, but not explicitly like making it against the rules or against the law. So you have a press that's allowed to and and has the freedom to publish what they want and hold these people accountable, but no motives and no incentive to do so uh, for fear of, of losing business. Oh, yeah, that's pervasive as well. What comes to my mind, for example, is the... Uh, degree of media uh, restraint exercised with regard to the affairs of uh, John F. Kennedy. I mean, he is now revealed to have had lots and lots of sexual uh, affairs, which, of course, uh, the, the biggest concern about that was that if you're doing something that you're trying to keep from the public, you're really vulnerable to blackmail. And a powerful person vulnerable to blackmail is, uh, you know, is, is control. Um, and he was able to do uh, a lot, and the media knew it about it pervasively and winked and said, well, you know, we obviously can't talk about that. But then uh, years later, uh, it became open season on the politicians to talk about these things. And I think it because probably it wasn't as forbidden by the public, and the public sort of expected it of, of their leaders to have this uh, aspect of their lives. And so it became more tolerable to, to talk about it. Well, and with that tolerance comes the acceptance, right? And that, mm -hmm. that you know, moves the goalpost a bit on what's, you know, uh, allowable discord, right? Eh, if, if now they're talking about it and the public is like, well, yeah, we kind of expected that. Of course they're doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's not that, then it's not a big deal. It's not newsworthy. And if it's not newsworthy, then that shame aspect that you brought up is gone, right? Because nobody cares. Like, you know, po right. politician gets busted for it. It's like, yeah, whatever. You, you elect me anyway, right? That's Still right. going to vote and, for me. And the good thing about that is that then you're not vulnerable to blackmail um, as it was such a vulnerability before, I think. So is it better now then? I mean, that's kind of counterintuitive to your original point of, of shame being a good factor is if, if they can't be shamed and they can't be blackmailed, then it's good, right? It's good that they can't be shamed. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I think that there, there's a, uh, you know, uh, that that uh, for example, years ago, maybe three or four decades ago, to be labeled a homosexual in public office um, could have been the, the end of one's career. So therefore, people kept it very, very quiet and they wouldn't talk about it. Uh, today, you can be a presidential candidate for it, and it doesn't end your career. It may shape people's attitudes and so on, but the fact that it's not not forbidden to talk about and the attitudes have changed towards that a lot, um, 
have made it, uh, you know, it's no longer a blackmailable um, action. So I are these, say that's good. Are these Scandinavian politicians then just clean as a whistle, right? Are they, are they not doing anything, you know, that we would expect from uh, from our politicians, right? Are they just are they just that good and uh, positive stewards of the community, where if they are shamed, it's a it's a big deal, and since they're not being shamed, they're they obviously not doing anything bad. No, I don't. I, I it, there's a different philosophy than what the government the role of the government is. Um, but keep in mind, the Scandinavian communities are are very unique kind of communities. They they have a entirely different kind of cultural rearing towards um, standing out. Uh, for example, I, I one time handed a out uh, exam grades and this one Swedish girl in class got the top score and I announced it to the class oh, she got the top score she came up to me afterward and says we don't do that in in uh, Sweden we, we don't embarrass somebody by telling everybody that you're the top uh, of the of the crowd you're not supposed to stand out like that and um, I've had uh, students say that it was uh, um, to be in a uh, to excel as a student above all the others, that uh, the other students would harass them and badger them that uh, you're you're too good, you can't be so good. You have to be along with the the mid range without standing out. Um, I mean, so the, that attitude is different in that culture, and I think part of the way of not standing out is also not to presume to take a bribe that's going to be at the expense of everybody else in your community. There's much more of this. This uh, community spirit through the history of the Scandinavian population, I think, it's okay. just a different cultural attitudes. No, understood. I'm just have I have questions. So let me ask. Let me. I have another one. Let me ask you this then: if it's if it has more to do with the culture, right? Is it possible then to have good government, right? Where it's you know where even though it's coercive and taxpayer funded and you know non voluntary, so it's an aggressive act, but you have all these very good people who just want the best for their community uh, running and operating it. Um, so it's not that big of a deal. Like nobody cares, right? You know, there, there's not as, there's not a history, a rich history of protest and anti-government sentiment there. So is, is good government a possibility? Uh, and if so, what would that look like here? Well, good government is almost a oxymoron, isn't it? Because I would say, think so. Point out, with the the use of force and all that and um so i think that there are cultures where um government isn't so much by the use of force it is as it is by this sort of this uh this attitude of the culture uh, for example another thing that they have in those cultures i i understand it from my students uh, that that the taxes that everybody pays is posted publicly so that everybody can see how much taxes everybody pays so that if you pay, you know, if you pay a lot in taxes, uh, or you, or your well, if your income was posted as a lot, then everybody knows what your income was. Everybody knows how much taxes you paid, and um, so they can make these comparisons. And it, because it's so publicly known, um, people are much more uh, cautious in not wanting to stand out. There isn't, like for example, well, okay, that with, stop, with stop right there, real quick, real quick, real quick, stop right yeah. there. They're yeah. more cautious about not wanting to stand out or they're disincentivized from standing out because they know they're going to be on the hook for a lot more if they do. Both. 
I mean, you're, you're right. They, they, they are more cautious, but the reason they're more cautious is because they don't want to, um, uh, bec- and, and I'd say that it, it, it's a negative if you do stand out. But, you know, this, is, this happens in other cultures too. For example, uh, in uh, Japan, it, it's a, a negative in the schools for a, a stellar student to, to uh, stand out. And, you, you know, the tall nail gets uh, hammered down is the constant phrase in Japan. Um, yeah. It's not just Scandinavia. Various cultures have this sort of thing. And it can be a real negative thing on anyone who wants to excel and, and uh, be extraordinary in their accomplishments. Well, and we're not excluded from that here in the United States either, right? Did the the term "eat the rich" mean anything to you, right? Yeah, isn't isn't that the same general concept? That's just direct envy, you know, of everybody that has. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's an attitude of uh, envy. Don't stand out. Don't be. You know. Don't don't excel in your field. Don't push. Uh, society, the economy, and humanity forward with your enterprising endeavors, right? Just be regular, be average like everybody else uh, for the, for the sake of everybody else, right? We don't need yeah. we don't need an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates, right? Or a Warren Buffett or whatever, right? Those guys should be average, and since they're not average, if that they do excel, they should be shamed for excelling. They should have their wealth taken from them. And given to those to balance it out, to average everything out. Well, I think that it's um, fueled by the numerous cases of of um, corrupt crony capitalism. For example, uh, the the ones who get favors from the, like, for example, the the last uh, recession, massive bailouts to the uh, to the banks and the banking sector, and and huge uh, golden parachutes and bonuses to. Uh, a lot of guys who made very bad decisions should have been crushed by the market, uh, but they weren't. They were bailed out and rescued by their friends in politics. And that sort of thing gives a bad name across the board to rich people because it's assumed, well, if you got rich, it's not because you got rich because of great ideas and performing, producing. You you got rich because of your connections and some kind of favoritism. And I I, I suspect that probably with every case of extraordinary wealth, you could probably find examples of um, crony capitalism where they've gotten some kinds of privileges from the government. I mean, take, for example, uh, Bill Gates. Uh, hasn't he gotten lots of military contracts? Hasn't he uh, lobbied to get those? Hasn't he gotten benefits of the of the uh, patent system or, uh, you know, uh, tax breaks sure. for technology? I mean, it, it can be argued that he wasn't a guy who just made his wealth just out of brilliant uh, new ideas that served the public. Maybe he had uh, lots of favors that uh, uh, that he won because he was, uh, uh, you know, he, he knew how to hire the right guys in the lobbying world. Sure. But does, so it was uh, a few years ago, I think it was Elizabeth Warren, I'm trying to look this up as, as we do it here, who had the quote of saying, you know, like, well, if, if you're successful in your business or you started a business and you're wealthy, well, you didn't build that, right? Do you remember that, that quote? You, you didn't build that. It was, it was others who helped build that. It was the government providing the infrastructure, for, providing the road, <laughs> right? And we laughed at that, right? We, we the, the, you know, the, the, the libertarian we, the anarchist we, laughed at that nonsense, right? Because it, it takes away... Uh, the hard work, the effort, the dedication, the risks 
that average Joe businessman and entrepreneur uh, puts in to build his enterprise uh, as big as he can or as big as he wants to get it, right? If not, not all business owners want to be multi-million dollar multinational corporations, right? Some of them, they, they, they hit their peak and you know, that's it, right? One store, maybe two. Yeah, we're good, right? I, I, I can make a living. I can feed my family, but they're wealthy, right? They're well off. They would, they would fit that category of eat the rich, uh, because they, they did well for themselves, right? They drive the nice car. They have, they, they have the nice house in the gated community, right? They right? They didn't build that, right? It was, it was the laborers. It was the hard work, their employees. It was the government, you know, like I said, infrastructure that laid it out for them. But should we disparage them, uh, for trying to make the best of their situation under the system as it currently is, right? Are all business owners required to be activists? Like, is that, is that where we draw the line? Like if you're not an activist business owner, then then you're not entitled uh, to the fruits of your labor because you you operated in the system where yeah you had to get a permit, you had to get a license, you had to follow the rules, the regulations, the procedures uh, as laid out by the state. Uh, and if you were able to do well for yourself in that environment, uh, you don't get the credit for it because it was all those things put in place that allowed you to be successful in the first place. Well, I I hear you. I, there. It's a, it's a murky world to try and separate out the, the the genuine Howard Rourke who who has built his own way with his own ideas the 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 Hank Reardon um, versus the um, uh, the uh, crony capitalist that just got his uh, all kinds of uh, favors from government. Yeah. Real, quick, that's, that's real quick, real uh, quick, tr- the quotes attributed to Barack Obama. Sorry, yeah. continue, Ken. Just wanted to get that in there. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think that uh, Hillary Clinton had the same notion in mind when she said it takes a village type of thing. You know, well, it's you didn't do it by yourself. It was it was the whole village that, that made it possible. Um, well, I mean, uh, libertarians themselves are all the time even sorting about out between themselves you know is, is Elon Musk a, a champion of the of the free market or is he one who is benefited by uh, all kinds of uh, subsidies and privileged positions uh, that that gave him a leg up over his rivals I you know I think we even we could argue about that endlessly and it's um, it's a tough distinct distinction about because you can't really separate the things out in society and say that they weren't influential yeah. Just constantly trying to make the uh, the point that um, there is virtue in in uh, in creative ideas and production. Um, that it's always a struggle coming down to character, you know, noble character versus um, uh, the parasitic character. Well, yeah, and I, and again, what. What can be done? So this came up um, some years ago. Are you familiar with uh, the work of Thaddeus Russell? Does that name no, ring a bell to you? Though? Okay, no. um, he wrote a book called like the the um, the the renegade. Oh man, a renegade history of the United States, something like that. Um, some years ago, he came to New Hampshire for one of their Liberty Forum events, like one of the Free State Project Liberty Forum events. I wasn't here. I didn't attend. I just heard the stories about it afterwards, right? And he got into it with uh, some attendees for something very similar. Like he said, go ahead and break the rules of the hotel, right? Like if you, if you want to smoke weed in the elevator, in the lobby, in your room, whatever, just do it, right? This is not 
private property uh, in the respect that these are crony capitalists, right? These are people that have uh, their only reason for being in operation um, was because they were part of the state, right? They, they got the handouts from the state. They got permission from the state. This building itself is not private property, and therefore you have no obligation uh, to follow the rules of the private property owner uh, because because it's not, Right. And he took a lot of heat from, you know, from uh, anarchists and libertarians saying like, no, this, this is private property. You come on private property, you follow the rules. So I ask you again, you know, in light of that, in light of that situation, like where does, where does the line get drawn? Is, can private property only be owned by an individual, right? Is, is a business not private property because they followed the rules of the state to get them to where they're at or to, to that allowed them to open in the first place? Like, how do you make that? How do you make that distinction? And where does the line get drawn? Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and the state and find out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's 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 probably the best answer. But, you know, un- until that point, we operate in the world that we live in. And we have to we have we have to make a choice whether or not we're going to um, respect private property or not, right? Whether or not we're going to say that, uh, wealth is created by entrepreneurs, uh, and that they are deserving, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the big one with, with Bill Gates is yeah, sure. He got government contracts. Sure. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, he's a, he's a crony. Uh, but, uh, the reason he was worth billions was because of all the value he put into the world, right? With windows and office and all that other things. And therefore he's uh, on par with the world. As far as like, I gave this much value to the world. They gave me that much value back in dollars. And so I've earned my wealth, right? I don't, I don't owe the world anything beyond what I've already provided because I've already made the world a wealthier place by providing those products and providing those services. Right. And if we're going, and if we're going to say, if we're going to accept that, then again, He's only operating under the current paradigm that he's required to operate under, and he's not an activist, right, or wasn't at the time. So his goal isn't to, like, to shift the paradigm of the state. It's not to change the laws to make it more fair for everybody. It's to get rich, right? It's to become wealthy so you can take care of yourself and your families, and you're not worried about where your $1,200 paycheck is going to come from. Um, because uh, you don't, you don't need it, right? You're already, you're, you're well enough off that you can survive even through this type of, uh, recession, depression, pandemic, epidemic, whatever they want to call it. Right. In, uh, in defense of Bill Gates, I understand that he was not heavily involved with, uh, congressional, uh, lobbying and influence peddling until, uh, uh, they, they tried to break him up, break up his, his, uh, his Microsoft. And when they went after him big time, he realized, well, as a defensive measure, you know, I, I have to get in, as involved in politics as everybody else in order to, to protect myself. Right. So uh, even more so the case then, because prior to that, he was just a businessman, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if Bill Gates isn't the example, pick anyone, right? Pick Bezos, pick Elon, piss, pick Buffett. Uh, I don't really care, I, you know. I, regardless of which rich guy you use, you know the the example still holds as to you know what what does it take for you to respect that you know for them, not us necessarily, to respect that the wealth that they've acquired is legitimate, um, and you know if it's not right, where where's the line you drawn? 
that's that's my overarching question is where does the line get drawn right what business exists today right uh that's you know that's uh, a large enough business to be on the radar, you know, making enough money that you would consider them rich, not your agorist, you know, I, I, I sell drugs on the side or I, you know, pirate bootleg pirate videos and sell DVDs, right? Like th- those guys aren't getting rich. They might give, they might be making enough, but they're not getting rich. Right. So aside from those business, like what, what business owner can say without a shadow of a doubt that yes, you know, I pulled up my bootstraps. I put in the hard work. I took the financial risk. And this is what I have netted myself from hard work, dedication, perseverance, etc. Right? Is it the is it the Korean store down on the on the corner? You know the 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 convenience store, right? Is it is it some new business coming up? Yeah, I think uh, the the people approaching it uh, can look at it from the ethics point of view. Well, did did the uh, unjustly benefit by some favor from government but there's also the practical argument that well if you do that uh, if you just say well we're going to redistribute everybody's income because anybody who has any more than another person then you of course you 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 destroy the incentives for anybody to to uh, to uh, create and produce or you drive them away actually that's more likely the case uh, in, in an international economy you you do the kinds of things that uh, that Elizabeth Warren proposed, or that Bernie Sanders proposed, um, and no matter how you construct your logic, you're going to drive them away. They'll go to other countries where well, they don't do that yet. Let's go back to Scandinavia. Then is that what's happening there? For all the the exceptional, the elite, the you know the the I'm better than you Scandinavians going like. No, I think I can do better than just average here, and I'm going to apply my craft in Canada or Europe somewhere. Well, they they were doing that when tax rates were uh, extremely high. Um, I think there were you know, like Bjorn Borg uh, left uh, Sweden and and uh, uh, Astrid Lindgren uh, left Sweden. I, I I don't remember exactly. There were a number of. Uh, of famous uh, Ingemar Bergman, I think, uh, left Sweden because the tax rates were so high. But Sweden had a revelation about these things, and they have since reduced their tax rates a lot. They they realized that their uh, extraordinary welfare state was was killing off productivity, and their their levels of of um, market control are considerably lower than they were in the heyday of the socialist uh, promise. So I'd say that uh, they're going in the right uh, in a in the right direction now, much more carefully analyzing the incentive structures of of these uh, the state activity. I, I, I they have, uh, as I understand it, they have even competing postal services. Well, the United States doesn't have that. Nice. Um, Does that impact the the level of shame, right? That that those people experience that are you know the elite the 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 upper echelon on intellect, ability, or entrepreneurship? I think it's always changing. I mean, it, you, the, the culture that was developed through centuries of, of isolation and so on are always going to be changing with more, um, uh, you know, media exposure, film, uh, movies, all kinds of, of uh, influences from the United States and from other countries is certainly changing. So you can't say that it, uh, is fixed forever. It's uh, constantly changing. Yeah, and oh, I, I either dropped or I lost it. I heard constantly changing, and then 
No, then oh. I, I ran out of words. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not sound like the end of the sentence. Sorry. Uh, all right. So, I'm, I mean, any, anything else to say on that subject then? Because it seems like... Uh, it seems like from the the Scandinavian students, as as, you, as we were discussing, that you know led into that, right? They're okay, you know, with with not being singled out. They're okay being average, right? That's that's what their culture is about. Um, and if they're okay with that, and they're okay with their government operating as such, well, then yeah, you know, you you get the you get the government you deserve, right? Isn't that what people are pushing for here then? Like. Aren't, are they not going to get the government they deserve if they keep pushing for equality uh, across the board, right? Socialism for everyone. Rich people, if you don't like it, leave, and so they will. Yeah, I mean, you can make uh, too much of the generalizations. I also know a, a lot of libertarians in, in Norway who are very individualist and, and as, uh, as much um, champions of free market capitalism as anyone anywhere else um so you know i, I don't want to make the case so broad that that uh, we say that this is what all norwegians believe or what all swedes believe uh, there there's probably some of the most fervent and lively um libertarians uh, there as anywhere else as a percentage of the population all right fair enough maybe even more so anything else MC, Ken? Not on that point, yeah. All right. Headlines? Headlines. Headlines! Oh, it's been yeah. so long since we got to do some. Okay, I'm going to read them all, and then I think <laughs> I want to start with this one anyway. So you tell me if this is not good enough, if you want to start someplace else. Headline, Russian counterfeit gang arrested after faking 1 billion rubles and selling notes for Bitcoin. Uh, headline, journalist gets $369,000 after cops raided his home, kidnapped him for refusing to name source. Uh, headline, I'm shooting him. I need a paid vacation. Uh, quote, hot mic records cop con cops conspiring to murder a man. And finally, headline, uh, only sh not a lot this week because we tried to stay away from the COVID stuff. Headline, cop fined just $2 for playing Russian roulette while on duty and shooting into traffic. <laughs> Do any of those bad cop stories jump at uh, jump out at you more than this uh, Russian counterfeit gang one? I can't talk about bad cops right now. I'm too pissed off at them. Okay. Oh, maybe maybe we should <laughs> jump into that then. Maybe we'll get to it. No, well, my friends. Um, okay, my girlfriend's mom's friend uh, was driving around, and a cop pulled her over, and they asked her, "Where are you going?" And she said, "Uh, well, I'm going to the grocery store." Uh, she didn't realize it, but as, as she was let go, uh, the cop followed her and tailed her to her friend's house. And then, uh, when the cop saw her get out at her friend's house and not the grocery store, gave her a thousand dollar fine. Motherfuckers. <laughs> road pirates. Well, yeah, they're, abs they're absolutely road pirates. Yes, recently. Because she should have been going to the grocery store and then home, not to her friend's house, according to the cop. One more reason to pull you over. Right. That's again. This is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Why I'm scared uh, to 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 you know vacation back in Hawaii during this uh, you know lockdown. I'm going to call it house arrest during this house arrest um, for everything. You know, all citizens on house arrest uh, because they didn't have a first cause to pull her over. Right. There was it wasn't right. like a tail light out or you ran blew through a stop sign or you know whatever. 
right? They just went like, she looks suspicious. Now that we have the right to stop everybody, we're going to. Yeah, right? exactly. And she is under no obligation to answer their question. True. Right? So what do you do? Um, I, it, well, if she didn't answer the question, the cop would have got even more pissed off and gave her a $5,000 fine. Right. Because that's the maximum that he can give. <laughs> So I think I think I was I was talking uh, to to Ian Freeman. I think it was Ian. I forget. I don't quote me on that. Um, but we were talking about like you know what do you do in that situation, right? Like what can you do in that situation? And and I said, you know, if you don't answer their questions, right, which you are well within your right to do, you're going to get arrested, right? They're not going to let you go on about your day. So with this new policy, they can fine you in Hawaii anyway. And so it's up to the cop, which is ridiculous in itself, you know, <laughs> whether to pull you over and then whether to fine you. So you asked, the first question you asked was, what can you do? Well, the first thing you do is, well, since the, the cop has a gun, he thinks he has the authority to do whatever he wants. Uh, so you beg and plead in, until you get whatever result you get from the cop. And then uh, you go, you fight it in court. Maybe if you that's feel like the doing thing. It. That's that was step two, right? If if you exercise your right to remain silent, because you don't have to answer his questions, you you he doesn't have to know where you're going, right? Like you don't need to give that. You know, I don't. I'm not even going to qualify that. Saying this is not legal. You absolutely don't have to say a goddamn word to the cops. I don't care. You know, if if, you, if you're a lawyer and you say otherwise, uh, but. You're going to get arrested. So the end result is you get arrested and then you have to go to court, right? You have to take it to court and fight it there and hope that you win. Um, now, what's what's possible since the fine is so damn high, like a thousand, you know, thousand dollars to five thousand dollars is you might qualify for a jury trial at that time um, because, you know, I, I don't remember what the threshold is, but I think anything over a thousand dollars or something like that, you know. Supposed to be constitutionally, it's anything over twenty bucks. You get a goddamn jury trial, but they're not going to give that to you anyway. Uh, but then you got to fight it, and then you got to win, right? Like the the only way to protest uh, that that government overreach, right, is to break the law, get arrested, and win in court at some point. Appeal, 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 appeal on up until you get someone going like, yeah, they're not allowed to do that, and then you win, right? And and that's like. That's years of t uh, of time consumption of your time and energy and your finances uh, going towards that, or right, you just lie to the cop and say like, "No, I'm going to the grocery store," right? And then if you have to go to the grocery store because he's tailing you, well, then just go to the grocery store, right? But he has, he has no right to ask, and you have no obligation to answer. Uh, and yet, you know, like you said, thousand dollar fine all of a sudden for something for a gross overreach. Uh, of of you know of of state powers should not have even been stopped in the first place, right? If there's no cause to stop, they they shouldn't be able to do anything. So yeah, I feel your pain. It's ridiculous, and I hope they fight it. I hope they fight it. I hope they win. I hope they sue. How long will that take? That well, that'll be a year years. or so before it's uh yeah. So in which case there can be a lot more cases incidents like that before it's ever challenged yeah unless everyone challenges it at least i know here in new hampshire they've suspended jury trials right because 
too many people in in the same room. <laughs> so if you're if you're in jail, right? If you're being held right now and you weren't able to bail out, right? And you're sitting in jail awaiting trial, what happens to your right to a speedy trial? It's not like they're waiving cases and letting people go. You're just stuck in jail until the pandemic passes, right? In which case you get queued back up in line wherever you were in the, you know, to begin with. Uh, to, you know, to to get your right to a trial, and the dash. Well, you say, you say, when the pandemic passes, that that's scary too, because, uh, well, the second wave it could be worse. The third wave could be worse. Oh well, yeah, we, we, God we'll, forbid. We'll yeah. have this for ten years. <laughs> Lockdown forever, right? House yeah. arrest forever, right? And what I do know, here's the insidious thing that I've shared. I I know this for a fact because I have experienced it in Hawaii, right? The way that the Hawaii system gets people to waive their right to a speedy trial uh, is because the public defender's office is so backlogged with cases. You cannot get your public, you cannot see a public defender or get one assigned to you prior to when your speedy trial were to, were to occur. So unless you want to hire a private attorney or go uh, pro per pro se or whatever you want to call it and defend yourself, Right. In order to get the, you know, the constitutionally appointed public defender, uh, you have to waive your right to a speedy trial. They go like, oh yeah, because this, this has happened to me, right? You just waive it and see what happens. But now people are getting locked up for longer than they should. You're like, they go like, okay, your, you know, your speedy trial date is like, you know, May 25th, right? See when you can get a public defender appointment. And you call the public defender's office and they go like, yeah, the, the next appointment we have is June 15th. And you go, hey, court, they don't have a public defender until June 15th. And the court goes, ah, would you like to waive your right to a speedy trial in order to obtain the public defenders, you know? And then everyone does, right? Because you, you want some sort of representation. Not going alone is probably just as effective. Uh, I'm guessing there's a very big difference between a good public defender and a bad public defender. It's like when they say, oh, well, you know, have an economist explain things. Well, it matters which the economist is, you know, yeah. what their philosophy is. And the same thing with a public defender. Uh, is, are these hired, paid for by the government? That they uh, Is that why they're a public defender? Or is it the private defenders are doing pro bono work uh, on, on behalf of low-income peoples from time to time? Um, so a little bit of both. And again, I'll, I'll speak from firsthand experience on here. I've had both the bad public defender the good public defender and the private defender working pro bono from time to time. So at least in Hawaii, right? The public defender's office, that's, it's the office, right? It's like, it's a public office. They have attorneys that work there and some of them are crap and some of them are better than crap. And some of them are actually pretty darn good. Um, even if they don't win. So like the, you know, the, the best example that I have for the, you know, the pretty darn good one, even though we didn't win, uh, she was in the court, uh, doing her thing and I was representing myself and, you know, she kind of overheard the, the preliminary conversation I had with the judge and volunteered to like, to, to, to work on, on my behalf. And I went, Oh, fantastic. Let's see. Let's, let's learn something new on this and let's see what happens here. Um, and the, 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 the citation was for a noise complaint, right? Like, you know, I, I was driving home at like 1030 at night um, and my music was too loud, right? And so the, the cop heard the music. And so, you know, the, the public defender, um, a good public defender, like I would, I would say she was one of the better ones, 
that, uh, that I've had, even though she only knew me for all of two minutes before deciding to take my case, you know, read through the case file like five minutes before questioning the, the cop, um, but asked all the questions that I was planning to ask anyway, right? You know, so the, the noise complaint says something to the effect of, you know, the, the cop must be able to positively identify the source of the noise from 100 feet away, right? Uh, and if, 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 you've, if you know anything about how the legal system is supposed to work, right, uh, there are elements to a crime, right? Uh, you know, in this case, the, the music must be played at a certain, uh, certain level. Uh, the cop must be able to hear that level, you know, from a certain distance away. And the cop must be able to positively ID the source of that from, you know, said distance, right? Like everything, everything that the law says has to have occurred as the law states. Otherwise it's the wrong law or it's, it's, you know, you're, you're innocent, right? Not guilty. Um, so hundred feet away, you know, cops on the stands, questions like, so about, uh, how far from the car were you when you were able to positively identify the source of the noise? Cop goes like, oh, about 30 feet. And I'm thinking, oh, we just won, right? He's the only one giving testimony. He already testified that he, it was, you know, well within the, the distance, right? It needed to be, he needed to be able to uh, identify it from 100 feet. He was only to identify it at 30. Slam dunk. We win, right? You would think. Um, and then we lost, right? And the judge goes, well... It may have been a hundred feet when it, you know it, it. The law might require a hundred feet, but he heard the noise from more than a hundred feet and was able to identify it at thirty. So we can extrapolate that it was the same source of the noise at a hundred feet that it was from thirty. So sorry, you lose. And the public defender looks over at me and goes, or she goes, she goes, I thought we had him, you know. And I looked back at her and I went, I thought we did too. You did a fantastic job. That's exactly how I would approach this, you know. Good for you, boo on the judge for, you know, basically, you know, railroading us and screwing us over out of that one. Um, but uh, to, to, so that was like the good public defender. I've also had the bad public defender. And in the state of Hawaii, at least, the public defender's office is not necessarily your constitutionally appointed uh, legal representation. Because I had the public defender withdraw from a case because they did not want to ask the questions that I wanted them to ask or or uh, present the defense that I wanted them to present. And so they withdrew. They said, uh, public defender's office will not be handling this one. Right? And I went, oh, this is going to be interesting. What happens when your constitutionally appointed public defender doesn't want to take your case? Right? Are you the, I'm still not going to go get my own defender. I'm entitled to representation. How are they going to fix this? Turns out, they hire a private attorney. So I was assigned a private attorney uh, who, who took the case. And we won again. Right. You know, uh, on a technicality, but fuck it. A win is a win. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're listening in Hawaii or if you have a public defender's office in your state, I would find out for certain whether or not the private attorney, the, the public defender's office is your constitutionally appointed private, uh, a constitutionally appointed attorney, or if they're not, how do you get one that's, you know, that's uh, working pro bono in, from the private sector, because they tend to do a much better job. Uh, then the guy who has, you know, the stack of 60 cases that he's going to try to, you know, railroad people through that day. Does that answer your question, Ken? What uh, constitutes a technicality? I mean, I'm, I'm curious about the case that, that you won on a technicality. And because that's just, like you say, it's just as good as uh, any other way. But what sort of thing worked? 
Oh, well, we pushed the case back and got continuance after continuance because I kept switching attorneys, right? Like, oh. ah, we're not ready to go. And then the, that attorney withdraws. And then the, you know, the other private attorney wants to withdraw again. So we got to hear it at a later date. And then the date that they gave us was Black Friday, the, the shopping day after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I went, let's do it in the morning, right? Like this, <laughs> this cop probably wants the day after Thanksgiving off, right? Probably has some shopping yeah. to do with his family, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance he doesn't want to get his ass up and be at court at eight o'clock in the morning. So let's do that. Uh, and of course we, we bet right. He didn't show up. And since it was like the third continuance, uh, on the prosecutor side, we motioned to have it dismissed and it was done. So, <laughs> so what I'm saying as a technicality, we didn't win on merit, right? I was, I was, you know, by their rules, I was guilty of what they accused me of doing. Uh, but you, you take the wins when you can. Mm-hmm. All right. We're, we're not going to get into the hell cause we're at the end of the show. So any, anything else pressing uh, on your mind or UMC? Nope. Final thoughts, Ken? Nope. That's good. All right. Wrap it. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. Uh, t.me slash anarchistexperience for the telegrams or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. Uh, this might be the last time I give out float.app because I don't know what's going on with that thing. Float.app slash anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.